0: I am really thinking about what is meritocracy, what is meritocratic, is anything meritocratic? is sport meritocratic? You take this argument and you apply it to 16 other things, why isn't this domain getting this level of scrutiny? Hello everybody and welcome back to the July edition of the Junto Bestie podcast. Tonight is the three musketeers, myself, Bad Badrude and Mateo Price. Don't ask us where the other two besties are. Frustrating last minute cancellations, but I'm actually excited for this group tonight. I feel like it will give each of us a little bit more time to unpack our ideas and we have lots to catch up on. So I I thought we'd get straight into things and maybe Matteo, you could kick us off here. Been lots of talk of content in general recently, less so because of Barbie and Oppenheimer, of which I've seen none before anybody asks. But again, I can't really remember a buzz around a film or a set of films quite like this in a while. My family went to see it tonight. My mum thought Barbie was rubbish. The group chat erupted. My little brother tells me Oppenheimer is the best movie he's ever seen. And he's the type of bloke who brags that he's watched the top 100 movies on IMDb. He's clearly doing a lot more work than I am. So anyway, we want to dive straight into the media piece. Matteo, Netflix have been getting a, I would say a lot of positive press. It's been negative of late about Reed Hastings and his business, but you and I were chatting a little bit about the password thing this week, and it seems you were seeing the light a little bit around the PR and spin doctors. And so I'd love you to expand on how you're feeling about media and, and the way it's portrayed to the rest of the world.
1: Yeah, so I think the overall sentiment that led to this originally was noticing that when Netflix announced that password crackdown, just that it was going to happen in the first place, the internet goes up in arms, fuck them, we're going to boycott it, they suck, whatever. And and then Netflix does it. And then immediately the narrative is, holy shit, they figured it out. They got 6 million new signups. in like The first week, literal legend, stock is up. Oh, my God. And now a few weeks pass, it comes to the earnings report. And it's, well, actually, we got new subscribers. We then just didn't actually stay for more than that first month. But what I just thought was really interesting was like, I genuinely, until you sent that FT piece was like under the impression, this was like a genius move and go Netflix. And it just made me take a step back into, we've talked about this a little bit before, but just, I want to know how much emphasis big tech companies put on PR. So like how much of when Netflix does that and all these positive headlines come out is like them versus people just want to talk about it. Because I know even at Jelly Smack, like just any company in general, at least that I've been around, like people care about the press that's coming out. And maybe you don't put like, all of your eggs in trying to figure that out. But even going back to venture capital, and like how Andreessen has their blog, and they want everyone to think that the best companies are the ones that raised capital and worked with these great names that you've heard of, just made me go on my little spin box. So the question I'm curious about, and don't have an answer is, I wonder how much focus big companies put on their PR, especially when headlines and things like what Netflix was doing with the password sharing crackdown are like considered more negative by the public of like how mm-hmm. much damage control or PR relations are people actually trying to spin out there in terms of like digital media. So I'll shut up there, but that was me um, and my little. I'm on. I feel the- like you're the perfect man to answer
0: this. and And actually I'm very interested if the consultants are behind any of this. I'm not sure they are, which is nice to hear for once. But did you have any exposure to this, Shimon in the clients that you served? And yes, how much of PR is actually about keeping people at bay versus hiding what's actually going on under the scenes?
2: My, My first thought is you guys should sell a steak of Mr. Beast out on the market and see what the impact is to your business. And I think Beastables is going to go through the roof. (laughs) <laughs> so that's my recommendation. From like, You'll get his billables life. in an hour. If you want, to, you want to see, hey, how much is PR? What kind of impact does it have? How much are they working on this stuff? Look, you want some free press. It's funny, I was just really listening to an episode on um, David Ogilvy, one of those founders pods. And to be honest, I haven't finished it or haven't. Gone through it in its entirety, but just the amount of focus and impact that one of these kind of PR pieces can have, I imagine there's like a ton of PR going on behind the scenes. On the consulting side, I didn't do a ton of it because oftentimes there's dedicated PR firms that those companies would work with, and that's outside the, the realm of management consulting. I don't think we would be any good at it, but I think it's immensely valuable, and and obviously like. With, with you guys, your strategy is very different from what Netflix would be doing or what big tech would be doing. It also depends on what kind of game you want to play and what kind of company you want to be? But I think that the funny thing is that YouTube creators, so few of them have reached that kind of scale or that kind of like business ambition to even warrant a discussion around this because I think this is something that you deal with every day. Is there isn't a peer that you can go to and say, okay, like... How how did you navigate this? It doesn't exist, right? There's companies that just aren't comparable. But uh, but yeah, just uh, just because you guys were talking about the, what was it, the, the Colin and Samir? Is that the... Uh, yeah, the, Colin and Samir. On, on that interview, I, I think it was that interview. It might have been a different one. But Jimmy was talking about how it's just a like rip off to do like brand deals for things when he could just be like touting feasible. And I was like... I just haven't heard that before. That's just such a ridiculous statement, but it's also an interesting problem.
1: No, Uh, but that's something we literally had like study on the back end. Is is this, how feasible is this? Can we really do this? Because yeah, in an ideal world, just make your own world and push everything within it. But Beast has no, there's no semblance of like, all right, let's make sure we get good press ahead of this video coming out. It's just the internet's gonna internet and it is what it is. But I do feel like I saw a bit at Jelly Smack but I have to imagine it's like magnitude stronger for some of yeah. these companies like Netflix. Of They know they're going to do something controversial. And I'm like, how many hundreds of thousands or even like millions of dollars was spent to make people try not to really remember or care as much or think it's going well?
2: Because yeah. I have but a sneaky I have
1: imagine, probably a lot.
2: I have to imagine that virality is different for YouTube videos than it is for like consumables or for yeah. other types of companies and products where you just don't have that same kind of like distribution equation. But I don't know. I feel like with Netflix, like they go through just the ups and downs every couple of months. And there's always people like posting terrible things. and
0: uh, So I'm that's on. Been the I think, case. I think so the interesting I mean, thing though is that in the context of Mateo sharing it, he was like, oh yeah. And password sharing just nailed it. And I just sent him something back and I was like, well, they actually miss revenue. <laughs> So it's actually so funny that the headline was password sharing works, but they actually missed revenue. And that's why I put the Spotify thing in the group this morning. Because they got absolutely drowned. Even though I think users are up like 20%, at least among Gen Z. And so it's a really just interesting piece. And then obviously if you subscribe to Succession or watch Succession, I think maybe that's the best inside the scenes of how it really goes down and for those who haven't seen succession it's mirrored after the the murdoch family and a family business people suing each other son trying to usurp the father and there's these great scenes where they all try and hire the best pr lady in new york and then one of them gets her first and so she's conflicted out of everybody else and the scene is just absolutely hilarious But the story I think storylines are everything, right? I think we all know that. And I I just feel, and maybe this is maybe connected to a little bit of what Jihad said in his piece, if attention spans are this short, people read the headline and they think they know what's going on with Netflix, right? Whereas there's no way you could possibly know everything that's going down. So it's a tougher challenge, hence why I don't really read anything that's headline-driven. I open Twitter now and I'm like, I feel like 20 people just contradicted themselves. But no one cares,
1: right? I will say the one thing recently on Twitter, I do love me some community notes. When I see something, I'm like, really? And this community is like, this is fucking bullshit. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> the Same page. Yeah.
0: yeah. Dude, it's nuts. Like I and I've just realized as a human being, like, I'm never gonna ask anybody to follow me, ever. I just find it so awkward. Maybe it's the British thing right? I don't know what it is, but I just find it crazy. So anyway, I just thought, I thought that's interesting. And, and maybe if you guys are open to speaking about another headline, that's really interesting. This is more long tail, right? So this guy, Brian Harmon, just won the Royal Liverpool, the English Open, the British Open, for lack of a better term. It's been 2,258 days since his last win. And I, I don't know if you two golf that much. But I know you both play games. Could you imagine playing a game for your whole life and going two and a half thousand days without a fucking win? But if you're interested, this guy has made the playoffs for the last 11 years consistently and has made $30 million from the game of golf. But only now won his first major. And he's got like a book. He went to UGA. wasn't quite valedictorian, but was like, Top graduate of his class, his kid's smart, and he's thirty six, and he's five foot nine, and he just played the most amazing round of golf over the last four days, um, and he finally won his major, and I just thought that was an amazing story around number one, staying in the game, number two, it's not like he had a bad life, right? Making thirty million bucks from knocking a ball around a field, but I just thought what an amazing story. Call that Mbappe. Yeah,
1: exactly. No, that's I mean, exactly where my head was going. I was like, yeah, Mbappe is, oh, I'm so sorry. 30 yeah. Yeah, trying to
2: change. yeah.
0: But he's the <laughs> oldest first-time major winner since Sergio Garcia won the 2017 Masters. I just thought I'd put it to you guys. I don't even think you need to like golf to appreciate that. Of, You're that good. You made 30 million, but you never quite made the cut. Like, that takes some resolve. And by the way, he is the 31st best player in the world right now but only one person wins the golf tournament.
1: I will say, A, I think it's an awesome story. And it definitely reminds me on like the, we're all still very young, the concept of like getting reps, experience, whatever. Like it is crazy to think about a decade from now, if we were all working on the same thing we're working on now, but with what we would know, how much added and insight and yeah. knowledge and change there would probably be. It also makes me laugh at, As you were saying that, I just picture the like Reddit or Twitter threads that would be like... Not all entrepreneurs started young. And then it lists like 30 <laughs> examples of blanks. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway was started when maybe it was 46. And then my favorite would just be seeing like the top comment, be like, here's some more names. And then it's all people who are like 18 to 22. Go like, fuck yourself. You're just choosing numbers. What's the point? But I do love that. I think that's a cool, that is a cool story of like oldest first time major person. He's just getting reps in and has a few great days and it fucking can change your life to some extent.
0: And the great thing is, Matteo, I forgot to mention this, but he was a really great amateur. So he was the best amateur and won multiple Walker Cups. And he said in the interview, at 17, 18, 19, no one could beat me. But from then until now, he said, I've, I've spent most of my professional career trying to rekindle that. So he was hot, the best. Then, I don't know what you call 30 million in earnings and Number thirty-one in the world, one of the best, but in our society we just almost don't even have space for that. But I love seeing those stories because I feel like we don't really get enough of them in the business world, right? It's so bummed. Dude,
1: I'd love to give me a case study on thirty-first most successful entrepreneur in the 2000s. thousand. I'm down for that. Actually, that would be such a fun book. (laughs) Yeah, we're choosing the middle, like the not the names, but they're still amazing and have crazy stories. You just haven't heard of them. Yeah.
0: Well, I think this gets to, to merit. And Amal, I know we've been going back and forth a lot in person and digitally over what's going on in higher ed. So do you want to bring us in? It's been a whirlwind of a month. I just saw Harvard got slapped with another lawsuit today to yes, end yeah. legacy admissions. So give us a scoop on how you look at the space. What's going on? Why now? Why suddenly everybody... Up in arms about college admissions. And then some of the stuff I've been seeing, which I feel like has been maybe borderline ridiculous, people saying that American admissions isn't meritocratic in any sense. I'm just curious where you land on this and, and if you could bring us through some of your thoughts.
2: Yeah, it's, I think it's really interesting. I think obviously like the catalyst is the Supreme Court uh, actions over the summer uh, to some pretty significant ones, um, particularly around kind of affirmative action and, and the implications for admissions offices. But I think in general, these things come and go, right? These things are pop-up, people are up in arms. But I think recently there was a report or kind of a paper that was published, and then the New York Times had a little bit on this of admissions data suggests that being very rich is its own qualification, that essentially the top one percent of students get opportunities that others do not. How ridiculous is that? That's unfair. That's not American. That's not meritocratic. So this particular chart has been going all over Twitter, at least all over my Twitter. Mm -hmm. I noticed that as we talk about, oh, Twitter is full of this, I don't see half the stuff that you guys talk about, and you probably don't see half the stuff that I talk about. But this chart essentially says that for students with the same SAT or ACT score, children from families in the top 1% were 34% more likely to be admitted than the average applicant. And this is specifically for some of the top schools like Ivy League, and then I think top dozen colleges, essentially. And then those that are from the top 0.1% were more than twice as likely to get in. And so everybody's going crazy. "This is, Oh my God, exponential curve in the end. Clearly, this is unfair. Now, for one thing, not everything can be average. So oftentimes people look at this as a dip and they say, oh, okay, this is the problem for, for middle America. Middle America is not like 70th to 90th percentile. It's 50th percentile. That's maybe that's median America. But to me, I think this kind of keeps coming up of, around like fairness, merit, meritocracy. And in, in my sense, I was thinking about this and, and I was like, yeah, poor 92nd percentile tough life. In in some sense, if you were to invert this, you'd be like, wouldn't it be shocking if students from the richest families were the exact same likelihood to get in as students of other backgrounds? Imagine your parents make a million a year and they are spending tens of thousands every single year between childcare, preschool, tutoring, piano and dance lessons, all these things like grooming you and you put in hundreds of thousands of dollars into your child investment and they're no better off. To me, that's actually, that would be shocking if that was the case. I think another thing is like, and this was a point that I, I wish Rubino was on here because they talked about on, on the all-in pod, which was these private universities, what they really should do is they should just publish a rate card, right? They should just say, hey, you know what? 250K, you get your, you get your kid right? Why beat around the bush just to publish it and that way everybody knows what the cost is. But in some sense, there, I'm not saying that this is the best model for society, but for private institutions, we're talking about private institutions because public institutions, they actually did this study and there weren't any shocking uh, charts that came out. And so by and large, the public schools do as their mission dictates, which is maintain much more uh, equity. But for these private institutions. Oftentimes that money of hundreds of thousands of dollars of gifts is going towards the need-based financial aid that helps out a lot of other students that don't have the same needs. And I'm not saying that just admit anybody and they don't, but if if you know that you have a student that has strong morals, strong ethics, interviews, well-rounded, still strong academically, and the family has been a strong supporter for generations, there's probably some degree that warrants them being admitted over somebody where you don't have those data points, but the same SAT, ACT. Now I'm not saying they should be 10X more likely,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but to me, it, it, it's not shocking any of this data. Um, I think more and more schools are going to get rid of legacy admissions because those are oftentimes the lack of merit. It's simply just legacy. And, and I think that is is the right way to go. But The other thing that I think of is every time I look at some of these charts, I'm like, we're so fixated on this 1%. We're so fixated on the 0.1%. And if any corporation had an 80 or 90% successful hiring rate, that would be incredible, right? These corporations are spending millions of dollars screening and interviewing applicants every single year. And... To me, the, the 0.1% the point one percent of of students, or maybe it's two percent or five percent of of a class size, to me, I don't think that is the right place to spend so much attention. Uh, I think it's much more like how do we focus on all of the other students? And and one of the things that I'm curious about is, and I don't there I'm sure there's a real answer here, but I, I'm not sure why these selected universities don't grow their enrollment at a faster rate than they currently do. I'm not saying grow about hundred percent, but to me, I would rather see, okay, fine, keep those like 5% of students that you bring in, but just increase your enrollment overall by 5% to, to bring in other people. It's not obviously that's straightforward, but those are some of my thoughts.
0: I don't know what meritocratic is. <clears throat> like what I feel is missing in the commentary is, okay, well, what's the system that you want? And Mm -hmm. what you start to get into is there's a number that people think there should be. And at that number, there is fairness. I've been rereading this book a lot this week around this Paul Tufts, the years that, that matter most. And it is undeniable, right? The impact of university on kind of social mobility. So I understand it. I think seeing some columns in the FT, though, talking about how America kind of trades on this idea of meritocracy, one raises the idea of, one, what is meritocratic in sports, in business, in academics, in journalism, right? So he who has not sinned shall cast the, th- the first stone. That feels like number one. It's part of my rejection. Number two, the U.S. admissions process is by far the most holistic. That doesn't mean it's not flawed, but it's the most holistic by a country mile. UK admissions, you submit the same one-page essay to a bunch of schools who you never speak to, and then you get an email notifying you that you've been admitted. And then I think there's this, like, other narrative that, oh, just admitting people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds suddenly makes the school better. Like, there's just a lot of, I think, gaps. And I've actually been thinking about penning something, like in the FT as a response. And then I came across this fascinating kind of debate uh, with, actually, Matteo, thanks to you, The Case Against Travel, the author of that piece, uh, Agnes, who's a, a Chicago, Chicago professor. She actually went on the Ezra Klein show to talk about meritocracy. And I think the thing that's fucking all these kids up is, and she talks about it, is well, when people do great things, right? We're like, oh, well done, Matteo. Well done, Amman. You guys are the best. And so then if you flip that, And something bad happens, it's oh wow, like you're the culprit for all this bad shit of not getting in or not getting this publication or whatever. But what we tend to do is we tend to blame situations when things don't go well. Oh, it wasn't you, wrong timing, no budget, things like that. So she talks about this idea of a non-punitive meritocracy, which I think is really interesting. But it's a fine line, right? Like you don't want people just like wallowing. In the idea that like, oh, it was situations and there was nothing they should improve, And so I think there's this tension and I don't know if it's coming from the left or the right of people are like rejecting excellence, even though excellence is amazing. And it's something that we should all strive for. Like it's a great thing, I think, to want to be better. But then at some level, excellence is almost now being shunned through the lens of, oh, it's just a bunch of legacy kids. And one, that's not true. Right, like I I think Notre Dame is the place I went to school was probably one of the deepest legacy schools. And it, one, just takes away from not only the legacy kids that are really good, but to everyone else who got in. And then now I think it is really getting kids caught up because if you're giving them all these plaudits, but wow, you're the best thing ever, great inflation, you're the president of this, and then they still don't get in, I think they don't know how to handle that. And so I think that's something I want to talk about, which is if you're going to point the finger at America, then I guess everybody else is having the the finger pointed at them, right? Because no one's got a more developed system. It's easiest to criticize the number one, the person that has it all together. I think what I'd like to see him on, and I didn't get time to do this tonight, so I do feel bad, but I'm pretty certain places like Notre Dame, not Northwestern, are getting enough money in the endowment to start paying for all the kids to go for free. I'm almost certain Notre Dame has been in a position to do that. And you can and do, do that t- too.
1: Okay, Our and president that. said that outright. He's like, yeah, we could do it. We just, no one else is, So why would we not? Yeah. Collect and so, a, a do, you, do you not feel like maybe this is
0: the, the ultimate rebuttal? It doesn't actually change anything about admissions, right? Or the propensity of donations. But I wonder if you took money out of it.
1: Do we think that would make it more meritocratic? I'm
2: running some math
1: real quick. All right. While you run your math, I'm on, I will just, my only comment on what you were saying earlier and looking at that graph is I think the argument's a little flawed of, I agree with you of, yes, the wealthier your background, the more on average, right? Your family's going to invest in you to be doing different activities and education, et cetera. But the idea that like. There's a huge gap between like 92nd percentile and like 99.9. Like 92nd percentile is also probably spending tens of thousands of dollars like on their kids' education and things. And there's obviously levels to it. But like I would be hard pressed to believe like that in and of itself is like a large explanation for just that like top group as opposed to who they know or other variables like that.
2: I think the big difference is just how much that group is giving to the university like i think that's
1: right but in that yeah but that's different than saying oh we spent tens of thousands of dollars for you to do piano and karate and that's, that's a good point to that's get, get point. the same yeah. test score as everyone else like in that chart but i agreed with you on like the donating and other relationship side of things
0: yeah does anyone have an answer does anyone have an answer for what is meritocratic because that, that seems to be at the root of this
1: we used to think it was standardized testing. And now, and, and now
2: we're we're convinced that's the wrong thing.
0: Convinced so... that,
2: that SAT and ACT scores are anti meritocratic, and that they should not be used in admissions. Even though the studies also tell us that if you get rid of them, it gets worse.
1: Well, right? That's yeah. the thing, right? It should just be it should be put against its counterfactual. It's not even what's the best. It's just what's not. What's, what's the, the least, least bad worst, option?
2: Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think you had a good point of okay, like what country's educational model and admissions process are we looking to because then the more we get into oh, okay we're going to go even more holistic and maybe we're going to do these different types of tests or not tests or whatever then it's okay well how much of a burden are we putting on students to go through and jump all, through all these hoops and who doesn't have the ability or the capacity to go through all that? so it's like you're always going to jump and i think this gets back to the original point around uh, you open up Twitter and, and, and 20 people are disagreeing with every possible take that you could possibly have. And I think with the education system, that's why like, change is so yeah, possible sometimes, it seems.
1: I, well, the only impact. thing I'd, I'd add real quick before you, you jump in is I agree if I don't know a different whether it exists or not a different country's model that's better but i still think it's very fair for people to criticize even if we're saying this is the best model that like it could be better i just am always very curious to see what these knee-jerk reactions to defining what better is going back to your point of what is actually meritocracy and i think a lot of times we do that wrong and then we'll do something really quickly wait 10 years and be like that was stupid and then tweak it again
0: yeah and i i think there's a There's a microscope now that we're holding, and I think actors have felt this for a while on famous people, and it's connected to cancel culture. They must be perfect. And what I think kids need to hear is, this is an imperfect process. These are the things that you can optimize for, and you can do your best. That's hard to take when, let's be real, thanks to Paul Taff and Raj Shetty, the social mobility is outsized. But what's interesting is, like, for the richer kids, it doesn't really make that much of an impact, like, um, in terms of income levels. And so, yeah, I think that's what I want to pen in my response. I'm also fed up of people talking about things that they haven't experienced directly. Oh, but that's
1: the 2020s, baby.
0: <laughs> Twitter, I allow it. In major publications, absolutely not. Like my first question for Agnes, and I would love to get her on the show, is tell me about your favorite vacation, because I think that was really important, right? Of just like, she took a very particular view, and I get her point in a sense, but then also like reading British journalists' takes on a Harvard admissions policy, like so- someone just needs to point out, hey. You're great, but you you can't talk about this issue. I think these publications are getting it a bit wrong. Their columnists are just opining about whatever they, like, please. I'd love to see a little bit more of that in some of this commentary because I think it gets broken. But, yeah, I am really thinking about what is meritocracy, what is meritocratic. Is anything meritocratic? Is sport meritocratic? Like, I just... You take this argument and you apply it to 16 other things. And it's, well, why isn't this domain getting this level of scrutiny? And I think it's because not all of us get rejected from Manchester United, but we all probably have a rejection letter or five from university. And I think there's probably a lot of pain in people's analysis of something that is such a rich experience. That's my psychological take on this. There's some pissed off parent Right. After the summer, waitlist is probably done now and they're going to harbor that grudge forever. Like I've seen in my own life. Parents who befriended me because they see me as a vehicle to getting into a certain school, only then to completely shut down when their, their kid didn't get in
1: all right well just as you're saying first off as you're saying that corn and you're like our sports merit uh meritocracy there's 50 listeners right now who's like i read the malcolm gladwell book have you seen hockey and how it's so biased (laughs) dude
0: i'm gonna gift you the tipping point for christmas just for
1: kicks (laughs) (laughs) the thing is i'm such i'm usually very much an optimist but i honestly think of like school admissions and like the top 1.1 percent where it's like making changes to the tax code these motherfuckers are just gonna study it and figure out the best way to man- manipulate it, regardless of what they no, trying defined- So I,
2: I will say, from coming out of some of these conferences, where like they've they just completely re- rewritten the, the the FAFSA process, which is applying for financial aid. It's not even that um, nefarious. It, oftentimes, there's just like incompetence, right? It's it's they're they're trying to simplify financial aid applications, and the government like. It provides no transparency. They have no idea what's going on. They, like the whole big process, is gonna get launched in a couple months, and zero clue. Everybody has zero clue how that's gonna run and how that's gonna impact things. And this isn't like my vibe. This is straight from thousands of financial aid directors that were at this conference that were like up in arms, talking to this these state representatives or federal representatives, and the federal rep- representatives just like sitting there without any answers. But I agree. Uh, it's, it's just that sometimes it's not even like, hey, how do we get around this? It's just, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. It's it's just like that.
1: My only other thought, because eh, that sucks to hear him on and doesn't shock me, because this is definitely something worth fighting for and thinking about and trying to, I think, criticize and work together and thinking about what could make it better. Yes. Yeah. I'm just pessimistic. You could insert, you could replace this topic with a lot of themes and probably have kind of the same outlook on what it might look like. Um, but yeah, man, I don't know. I'm, I'm not optimistic on this one. I do think it's interesting that like California had a ruling, I think a couple of decades ago with like grad school programs around affirmative action, and they just found their own proxy metrics of getting around that. So I, I am curious to see what top schools do and how their admission processes change given the SCOTUS ruling because I think they will just get creative.
0: It sits in an Excel sheet, right? Like it's not that complex. There's an Excel sheet. There's multipliers on scores. I'm really interested in with these uh, test scores being optional for the last two, three years. And it sounds like this was the year that they expired. And and so I don't know, Amon, yet if schools have come out and said whether they're going to be continuing with the test option. But I think it's fascinating. But people forget that the American education system, like every school has their own application. You have the Common App, you have the supplemental. There's alumni interviews, right? Like NYU, the Klein Institute, my little brother was looking at that. And like there, one, you can only apply to Klein if you want to go to the school. So, it's client or nothing. Or if you get into NYU after that, you can reapply after freshman year. They ask you to fucking put together a playlist of just your favorite music. There's something beautiful about that. Getting 16, 17, 18 year old kids to think in that way. And yeah, it's a lot of work. It's an awful lot of work that requires an awful lot of support. But th- I do. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. No. I just think there's some really cool things in that. It's exactly the same. People think soccer's meritocratic. That's no, not. It's all about whether the coach likes you, whether you're playing in the position that they need most help with. Music. Meritocratic. Okay, yeah, good luck. No one's even trying to make that argument, right? No one is, and so I just... What I'd like to see is if you're going to apply that to everything, to education, you've got to apply it to every other thing that you're looking at. And I feel like education is a cheap shot because they're institutions. And what I'd really love to see is a really compelling smart VP of emissions go on the Colin and Samir show and just look and just say, "Yeah, look, we're not perfect, but we do these things really well." And I'm very open to more perfect systems but I got to believe we're really holistic. Isn't there just a space for someone to come out and say
1: that? I, I, we need a news publication or a media outlet that pretty much takes people right when they're retiring and have all the expertise still, but are just that's, fully with their takes. That would be amazing. I well, would love someone who's out well, of the mission. to Be like, let's well, fucking talk about it. That's called our expert networks. Yeah.
2: And it's all private information. We do need a public version of that.
1: Absolutely. I want to just feed them like, well, in this hypothetical world, you had a school, yeah. right? <laughs> just right, have them right. pick it apart.
0: <laughs> yeah, seriously. Imagine if the Tagus recordings were public, Amar. But that's how I'm really feeling. And then also, I don't know how you guys feel, but do you feel like the journalists writing about these stories are actually advancing the issues?
1: No, but I feel like that's often part of the media business model and how they can't actually afford to have journalists and specific specialties, which is a whole separate so topic. If only Should they knew G-Hard
0: so they could do luxury media. <laughs> exactly. A
2: little, a little teaser for the next episode. I, I do need to run in, in a couple minutes, but that just reminds me because I was listening to a podcast with, with Tim Ferriss now that he's on the other side of the podcasting circuit. I don't know if you've seen it. Wait, he's there's there.
0: another one. There's another one. He's been doing things left and right recently. Didn't, uh, I predict, didn't I predict this? And then what did I predict? You he was going to start plugging some like absurd <laughs> concept, not his fourth book to something different, yeah, you we'll, know? We'll, we'll see. But he was,
2: he, he mentioned this thing, more or less, if you're on Twitter, don't expect that you're going to change anybody's mind. And I was thinking, when was the last time I read something online that changed my opinion profoundly on something that like really matters? Not just like a new piece of information, but changed my perspective. To be honest, it's been a while. And I'm like, that is very concerning. What podcast is it, Amon? This is the, I'll send it to you, but it's the Tim Ferriss and Andrew Huberman podcast. It, it was fine. it's mostly recycled stuff of, of things that he's shared in all of his other podcasts. It was interesting, but not a lot of new stuff.
0: I'd love to listen. And yeah, glad T. Ferris is out in the open. But yeah, I definitely want to try and pen something. And I might lean on you guys because it's one thing to critique. But I'm just not really feeling any intention in the critique. Like, I'm not sure the people writing about these things would actually care if they ended up getting what they wanted. And I think that kind of bugs me a little bit. Agreed. Like I, I agree with I, that. I wish there was a system where you got followed up with and say, hey, do you still care about this? But that's my two cents. Um, any other final closing thoughts, boys? I don't know if we've had the three of us on a pod together. So this was kind of nice.
1: No, this is fun. I like the added screen time. This will be good talking for talking time. Get your talking right. time in. When we start on Netflix or Spotify, when they re bring back their podcast program in three years, yeah. we'll be like, well, we're on there the most. So. Well, Rubino, see how his ratings compare?
0: Yeah, Rabino's a part time. He's a part time best. He's, he's a correspondent.
2: He's a correspondent. president
0: millennial correspondent. Yeah, his, Jenna. his compensation will be commensurate with his attendance. Um, <laughs> let's just end with this. This is fun. If you had to rank percentage-wise between the five besties since we've started this, how would you split the talking time?
1: All right, I'll start. I'm going to just guess off the dome. I would say Cornelius... 20 oh, so you're wow. interesting i don't know these first like six pods cornelius didn't say a word he'd introduce wow. and then just say nothing so i'm giving you 20 i'm giving jihad 23 he goes on his little takes Aman, i'm giving you also 20 percent. i'm giving me like oh well i guess rubino's not on me so i'm thinking of when we're all on it all on yeah when just... we're all on it i actually think it's pretty well split i think rubino will just we Will go on these tangents. So maybe he's 25, 30%. Wow. But otherwise, like, I don't feel like it's that
0: dominant. 25, 30% for Rubino sounds like his attendance rate, but uh, I guess his speaking rate is <laughs> uh, that's That's really interesting.
1: Amon, how about you? i, I, I feel like you... the first to say I'm fully probably wrong, but I'm just living with it. So I agree that there's. I feel like there's good distribution.
2: I wouldn't say that it's dominated one way or another. I would say Cornelius definitely pulls more weight out of yes. than all of us. That and that's obvious. He's moderating, but he's also there's a lot of times where I don't buy none it. of us are saying anything. And
0: Cornelius, <laughs> I don't buy it. Cornelius. I just like he, he lobs do
1: questions. Then. He he breaks what? the interruptions, but he lobs questions. You're right. Yeah, definitely. No, is clear,
2: which is for sure the case. And then I think. Early on in the pods, he was very intentional about. I'm not going to say anything, but part of that was also in response to a couple of pods where he did talk a lot, and it wasn't be- and I, like that wasn't a bad thing. I thought I enjoyed that just being like a listener and, a, and an attendee. Um, but I would say for sure, more twenty percent. Uh, absolutely, um,
0: it's a meritocracy, mom It's a meritocracy. <laughs> but it's,
2: it's not like he's talking over us. It's, there's gaps. And he doesn't want to have a five-minute point of silence, <laughs> and so he moves on. Yeah, Rubino's got to be like five percent, like five yeah. to eight percent. My, my, my I agree.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say. I think honestly, I'd probably forty. I
2: was gonna say thirty-five.
0: I think I'm like forty. I think, like 40. <laughs> I think a G. Hard Collective twenty-five. I think they're fairly quiet. I think Matteo, you're probably comfortably twenty-five on your own energetic always have a topic when you're on too right i think you've missed like one and then yeah i think rubes is
2: 10 <laughs> i think that's a good that's the yeah. right
0: split i think
2: jay and i will chip in but yeah. i think mateo is always active on all of the discussions yeah. for the most part whereas jay and i are a little bit
0: less I agree with that. I actually, I think once we have our press team and we hire that 5K a month agency for all of our favorite clips. Whatever Netflix. uses. I was actually thinking that. You guys be down. We don't need (laughs) to
2: hire anybody for that.
0: Yeah. Give it at least a year. 2024. Let's say 2025. We pay a grand a piece. Tax deductible. And we all chip in for this retainer. So it's 12K a year. And we have this agency spruce us up. Cut our clips because I've been in the edit, and we're hilarious.
2: Mateo's getting really quiet because he knows that they're building one of these businesses in the whole, in the holdco, and they're just going to have this automated. alright Wait, and if you aren't
1: doing that, you should end, end the pod, and I'll tell you why I'm quiet. All right, we we're go. gonna end. We're gonna end. A-O-G-O and it's